Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Thank you, and hello, ACB. Hello to and to everyone who's tuning in, either uh, in, who's there in person. I hope you all enjoyed your lunch and enjoyed getting to know each other. Uh, for those of you listening in via Zoom, and also those of you joining us via ACB Media Three, welcome to you all. I am Ria Kristich. I'm the chair of the American Council of the Blinds International Relations Committee, and this is our Voices Around the World program, which is a tapestry of stories of uh, immigrant success in the U.S. This is our 11th Voices Around the World luncheon, and uh, my first as chair of the committee, so I'd like to warmly welcome all of you. Uh, International Relations Committee, we seek to promote understanding and empowerment of people who are blind and low vision around the world, and we do that through, of course, activities like this one and the other activities that we have going on at our conventions. We uh, have held several other programs throughout these last few days. We hold community calls as well between conventions focused on the international experience. We curate issues of the Braille Forum focused on blindness around the world. And we also uh, provide, as we are able, uh, blindness-related materials and equipment to those in emerging nations. And you can find out all about uh, all that we do, archives of our prior programs and how to reach out to all of us. The easiest way is to go to acb.org slash committees, that is plural, and then select the International Relations Committee. Uh, but without further ado, I am uh, so pleased uh, to welcome our panel. Here we have um, Aditi Shah, who is from uh, India, and she works for Microsoft. We have Saja Koidala, who is from Nepal, and she works for the U.S. Air Force. We have Marisa Musemic, who is from Bosnia. She works for Language Line Solutions, and Gabriel Lopez Kafati, who is from Honduras originally, and he works for Miami-Dade College. Uh, I I'm so pleased that you're able to join us, and I am looking forward to hearing your stories, and I hope you all are too, and that these stories serve to uh, inspire and motivate you uh, to achieve your highest potential as well. So without further ado, I'm not going to tell you more about them because they're going to tell you in a much more interesting way, and I will change uh, the order of the panelists as I call on you just to keep things uh, interesting. So let's dive right in and uh, talk about what your motivation was to come here to U.S. and just what that uh, transition to life here was like. And let's uh, let's start with Aditi. I am originally from Mumbai, India, like Maria said. Um, I graduated with a degree in information technology back in Mumbai. And then I started working for a cybersecurity startup. Um, and that's where I realized, like, I'm really fascinated about the whole world of security. And I thought, like, you know, three years into my job, I thought I want to pursue a degree in cybersecurity, like to become a cybersecurity specialist. I looked around in India and I didn't really find uh, any graduate programs which were very focused on cybersecurity at that point in time. So... That's when I decided to apply for some grad schools in the U.S. Um, and I got accepted at 
the Georgia Institute of Technology's MS in Cybersecurity program for the fall 2018 term. And that's what got me here. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, next, uh, let's go to Gabe next. Thank you. So um, as Maria mentioned, I was originally born and raised in Honduras. And um, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa when I was nine. I always felt there was a lot of things that were different in in me from from my friends and uh, uh, everyone ar around me and my family. So I went through high school in Honduras. I was very privileged and very blessed to be able to attend an American school over there. And uh, when I got to uh, college, I uh, was very passionate about law. So I went into law school. I did not know how I was going to do that. Um, my, believe it or not, uh, I like to share this because it's, it's a way in which uh, we appreciate what we have here in the United States. I know many countries are making a lot of progress. And that was one of the motivations that I found in transitioning over to life in the U.S. When I uh, went to law school, um, there was no special accommodations in higher education over there. There was no ADA. There still is none. And um, believe it or not, I was able to go through the entire degree with my parents. My mom and dad dedicated themselves to recording all my books on cassette tapes back in the mid-90s. We didn't even have digital recorders. So that's how I studied. And I... Uh, made it through law school and got a position at a at a very prestigious law firm but at that point my eyesight was definitely deteriorating at a faster rate um and i felt i couldn't go forward with independence without uh proper training and proper tools at the same time i was dealing with coming to terms with sexual orientation and uh, the prejudice of family and uh, society in honduras was not welcoming for me to be able to come out. So I said, this is, this is a time I need to go to a country, to a place who will embrace me, who I am, as I am, um, without judging or without thinking that my blindness was a punishment or that my sexual orientation was not uh, accepted. So I came to Miami. I completed training at the Miami Lighthouse for the Blind and uh, then started moving forward and decided that I wanted to continue working independently here in the U.S. I got uh, some companies to sponsor me and I was able to secure um, legal status and was able to work for those companies in international trade and finally decided that this, this was home for me. So I went through the process and waited patiently and uh, became an resident and then finally naturalized citizen in 2015 and uh, the transition was was to me i grew up learning a lot and admiring the american culture so the transition was very easy um, the opportunities that i found here were definitely so welcoming and obviously uh connecting with acb and uh fcb and uh, Blind Pride International also gave me the tools necessary to to complete that picture and make my transition fully, fully immersive into the 
life of the United States of America. Thank you, Gabe. That is great that you uh, were able to have a successful transition. All right, um, let's uh, let's stay in the room there. Let's go to Marissa next. Okay, thank you so much. So um, I'm gonna. Um, fast uh like i'm gonna backtrack a little bit here and um so um i was born and raised in bosnia and i lived there until 92 when the war broke out when the war broke out um in um april of 92 i was in um seventh grade attending the school for the blind in sarajevo which is the capital so all um all children who are blind or have low vision that's where they went to school there there was no other alternative and to my knowledge there still is not everybody who ha- who is blind or low vision has uh, attends a blind school for the blind so um back uh when i applied uh, when my family and I, I should say, applied to go uh, to immigrate to, to the U.S., we lived in Germany, in Munich. So um, we settled as refugees in Germany back in 94. And in 99, all the refugees who were living in Germany at the time, they received a letter saying that you either have to um, apply to immigrate someplace or you will be deported. So if you applied to immigrate somewhere, then you had a, that was your chance to stay in, in Germany for as long and before you left. Otherwise, everybody else um, was deported. That's the uh, program that the German government had at the time. I don't know too many details. So uh, prior to um, immigrating to the U.S., I attended school for the blind all the way through. So uh, when I came here, this was, a big transition was for me, um, attending from like attending a school for the blind in Europe. And then suddenly I came here and I was mainstreamed. Now, uh, the mainstream process in Germany at the time was going on, but it was very, it, there were very few, far and few students were um, mainstreamed. In fact, the only ones that were mainstreamed that I know of were people at the school called the gymnasium, which is a um, type of school in Germany that uh, when you complete it, it leads to um, college education. Um, so only if you attend um, gymnasium, you could go to um, college in Germany. So um, in order to immigrate to the to the U.S., there were certain criterias that you had to fill. Um, so one of them was that um, you had to have been in a um, like um, a prisoner in a concentration camp. The other was um, you have to be a mixed marriage, and the third was that somebody in the family had a disability. So in case of my uh, family and I, we 
fulfilled the second and third criteria that I mentioned. Um, I am from a mixed, ethnically mixed marriage. My dad is Muslim and my mom is Croatian. So she is, uh, she is, she's Catholic. And so, um, Mixed marriages were very common um, before the war. Unfortunately, the war left its mark on the country and mixed marriages are no longer common. And oftentimes they are um, frowned upon, unfortunately, which um, is definitely a big mistake because the most important thing is that you are a decent human being. And it doesn't matter what nationality you are, what um, race group you belong to. So um, we came to the United States in October of 99 and settled in um, Detroit, Michigan. And if you knew somebody um, who already lived in the United States and could be your sponsor, then you had a better chance of... Um, of um, of getting more like a getting a better placement because you knew you knew somebody that was um that was the assumption and um it certainly held true for for us because uh those people actually helped us um transition um to the to the US to life in the US uh they helped me find a school uh when I came here I was uh, 20 years old but because of the English language um or my limited English language at the time so um I chose to go to high school and I went there for 3 years then I went to Saginaw Valley got my bachelor's degree in social work and then I got my master's degree in rehab counseling I did work in the rehab counseling field very briefly and um in Virginia unfortunately the uh, funding for the for the position stopped, so those who came um, last had to go first. So I came back to Michigan, where my family lives in Sterling Heights, and I was looking for for a job. And so, Marisa, I don't mean to cut you off, but I want to just come back to that since we haven't yet heard. I want to uh, give Saja an opportunity to talk about kind of her journey and her transition, and then we're going to jump into everyone's employment journey. Oh, so if you could, yeah. So if you could just hold off on that for a second, that would be lovely. But thank you so much for all that sharing. Um, I I know for me being uh, from Bosnia as well and coming around a similar time in '93, you know, some of the uh, the paths were different, but I can definitely the mixed marriage was, uh, you know, in, in my uh, situation as well with my parents. And, and so I can, I can certainly, um, it resonates with me. So thank you for sharing. Um, and let's go to uh, Sadja last, but not least, certainly. So if you'd like to talk about your, uh, what motivated you to come and uh, what that transition was like. And so there you are. Um, for me, there were a few reasons for my motivation to come to the USA. Number one was escape. I had the misfortune of growing up in an abusive family, and I wanted to escape. I wanted to go as far away as possible. And in my mind, that was America. America was the farthest you could go. If I got there, no, nobody would ever find me. But um, as I grew older, my reasons became more sophisticated. I wanted to go to the USA for a better future, for more opportunities, and for prestige. All my life, I have searched for prestige. I like people to think highly of me. 
and going to America does that to us, to Nepalis. Once you hold that visa in your hand, you become an instant celebrity and even glamorous. And I wanted people to think of me as a prestigious person. So initially, I wanted to go to the U.S. to escape my family situation. But as I grew older, my reasons became more sophisticated. And uh, in 2010, I had the opportunity to come to the USA on a student visa. Uh, my transition to the U.S. was excruciating. I actually don't like to recall my early days in the U.S. because I feel so sorry for myself. I know that I have grown and come a long way, but I do wish that my transition didn't have to be that difficult. Sure. So there are... Uh, few things that made my transition really hard. And number one was my feeling that my own feeling that I was dumb and inferior. Intellectually, I understood that I was not dumb. But in reality, I felt like it. I could hardly speak the language. I didn't know anything about the culture. I was not familiar with American food. And, you know, I didn't know anything. And because of this, I thought I was backward. I thought I was a fool. Um, I remember one time that um, the very next day after I uh, came to Hawaii, we had an orientation on campus and they served us pizza. I have never had a pizza before. And I had heard that Americans always ate with their, I mean, ate with forks and spoons. We eat with hands in Nepal. So then when they uh, just gave me a slice of pizza, I realized that you didn't need a spoon to eat it. So then um, I remember I held the pizza in my left hand and then broke off little pieces with my right hand and ate that pizza that way. But when I found out the proper way to eat, it, eat a pizza by just holding it with both of your hands and then eating it straight, I was overcome with a feeling of inferiority. There is nothing wrong with eating a pizza by breaking off little pieces like I did. But at the time, I thought that everything I did was primitive. And even when something uh, funny would happen, I wouldn't see the humor in it. So one time, my self-criticism was just intense. Uh, one example, uh, so, uh, so in Nepal, quiz means game. Quiz is a fun game. So when you, we play quiz, we, uh, build teams and then we, uh, quiz is a competition where your general knowledge is tested and then the winners win prizes. And so the professor in my class said we had a quiz, uh, in the next day and I was all excited. And then I came home and then I was looking forward to the quiz and I was trying to prepare for the game and I go to class and then everybody is, getting ready for the quiz. And the teacher goes, oh, how are you going to do it? And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, my God, even though this is America, look at the discrimination. This person thinks I cannot play quiz. So then somehow I understood that quiz meant somehow she made me understand that quiz was actually a little test, a little exam. And when I realized that, I was, again, just humiliated, embarrassed, ashamed. Similar things have happened, you know. Um, like, um, I remember I went one day, I really, really wanted to eat okra, but I didn't know the word okra. We call okra um, ladies finger in Nepal. So I go to the store looking for ladies finger. 
they don't know what I'm talking about. And they tell me, well, you can't eat a lady's finger. You cannot eat a finger. But then I, I was so desperate that I actually called a Nepali person on the phone and asked them. And they said, oh, it's called okra. And again, ashamed. Oh, so ashamed. I got the okra, but I wanted to hide. I wanted to run. And then the second reason for my uh, transition was that a profound heart transition, a profound and utter sense of loneliness, having nobody to talk to. My um, loneliness was so deep that I often felt like I was in solitary confinement. I was surrounded by people, but I did not have someone I could freely and openly talk to. And I know that this is a problem for most foreigners. But what made my situation really sad was that I did have a family. I have an uncle in Hawaii and I lived with his family for um, several months after I came and they were not nice to me. Uh, they did not hurt me physically, but there was no shortage of emotional abuse. Uh, I remember right after I came to the U.S., my auntie gave me a bowl of cereal. And then um, she asked me how it was. And then uh, in Nepal, um, given that English is not our native language, when we mean the food is good, we say sweet, which my auntie knew because she's from Nepal too. Instead of good, we say sweet. Uh, in other words, tasty means sweet in Nepal. So I said the cereal was sweet. Then I get sweet. Oh, how can it be sweet? It's not sweet. The flavor is not supposed to be. It's not good. You mean you don't like it? You mean it's not good? Then I realized that, oh, shoot, I should have said good, you know. And rather than correcting me and teaching me the correct word, they enjoyed causing humiliation. And um, I have many more examples like this, but I won't go in uh, detail. But another was, um, you know, taking things out of my suitcase and giving to others, which is so not right. And uh, just a lot of unkind behaviors like that. But I was led to believe that because I had a family, my transition would be easier. My family in Nepal were happy that I would have someone to guide me through difficult times, that I would have somebody to um, depend on in America. But that was not the case. When I realized that my family was not only not going to help me, but they were actually going to mistreat me, I was crushed. So now my uncle did help me in practical ways. Uh, my uncle helped with the admissions process in college. He helped me connect with paratransit, paratransit. He helped me connect with resources like Library for the Blind, but I paid them for that. My sponsor paid a hefty $800 a month for their help. So uh, in short, I'm not going to go in more detail, but in, in short, my transition was really rough and extremely unpleasant. Thank you, Sanja, for sharing that, for being vulnerable and so candid. You know, I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, a lot of us and, you know, we had my family and I, we had lots of challenges as well with people who exploited us and, and uh, such abused us financially and, and things, you know, when immigrating. And I think it's important for, you know, we never know who's listening. And if someone is going through a challenge like that, to know that they are not alone. And I hope that, you know, as we move forward here through this conversation and, um, you know, forward in, in your journey and um, that, that people can hear about how you have succeeded, you know, despite all of these um, hardships that it can hopefully be, you know, motivating to someone who is going through 
through a challenging time. They're not alone and that they can um, do this and that um, just mental health aspect as well, that uh, the, the, the power of being able to change, you know, one's attitude about oneself. So thank you for sharing that. Um, We'll continue now. So as we've heard about some of your, uh, the transition and for some of you, your educational journey, um, let's jump into, so kind of from where we left off and let's, uh, talk about your journeys to, uh, successful employment. If you didn't mention anything about education before and want to now feel free. Um, so we'll jump into the employment journey and then, um, just anything, uh, else that you want to share in terms of you know, what your life has been now, now that you like now, now that you have, uh, you know, made a successful transition and you're, you know, employed and and living here and, um, you know, what, what things are like in terms of, um, you know, if you want to share any, you know, community involvement or or family or just anything about what your um, life is like now. So let's go, uh, let's go to Gabe first. So yes, um, Maria and everyone, Education, um, that's, that's one of the things I, I'm, I'm a, I don't know, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I've always <laughs> been a geek. I love studying. I love reading. And, um, after completing the projects that I had, uh, committed to with the companies who were able to sponsor me for, um, legal status and, uh, being able to work, um, I realized that after that, I was on my own. <laughs> so I had to secure education in order to be able to, to further, further be able to succeed as an individual here in the United States. So I decided to go back to school. So I went, uh, first to Miami Dade College where I did some coursework. Uh, and that's where I work now. But, uh, then I went to, Barry University, where I completed an MBA with uh, orientation and management. Uh, I felt that was the next best step because it, I felt it would open a lot of doors and it would help me uh, step up in the ladder of, of employment. However, the involvement with the organizations under the American Council of the Blind, I started getting these statistics of the high rate of unemployment amongst our community. And I started bitterly experiencing that. I have a collection of those um, fun template letters that say, thank you so much for your interest in our organization. However, at this point, we decided to move forward with another candidate who better meets or who is better, uh, who is a better fit. Um, so I cried over each and every one of them. And, um, I started, uh, just feeling, uh, I could relate with a lot of what Saja was saying because at that point I felt that I was, I, I, I felt helpless or hopeless. And I, I'm not going to lie. There were some times i'm i'm an only child and i grew up very close to my parents and that sometimes i you know cried myself asleep and told myself what am i doing here when i have a home uh where my parents can provide at least some me- meals for me and i know that i i i will be i will be good over there uh but on the other side i had come so far and i had also 
learn to value the other things that this country was affording me, like independence, um, the ability to be myself and present myself as who I am without fear of judgment. And uh, most importantly, the other aspects of the legal framework of the United States, which had guarantees for me as a blind person. And uh, the support that I received, uh, like I've been saying, from ACB and FCB and uh, BPI was instrumental in making me and giving me the strength that I needed to to withstand everything that came my way. I remember uh, after I completed my MBA, I was unemployed <laughs> with a huge student debt. And, um, but at the same time, I was, I was advocating for myself and for others. Uh, it was very meaningful for me that exactly one month after I became a citizen and I, um, went to my oath ceremony, just one month later, I was on Capitol Hill on my first leadership meeting with ACB lobbying. And, and, and that gives, you know, that, that gives a lot of hope and that gives a lot of, uh, security, a sense of security that there, that I'm not the only one, you know, that I'm not the victim here, that there's been so, so many others who have come before and who advocated for the things that we have and that I was able to enjoy. And yes, I had student debts and yes, I was unemployed, but I was on a path and I had people around. Me. Uh, the same goes for Blind Pride International. I honestly thought that I was I, in my mind, I, I really said this to myself. I think I must be the only blind gay man in the whole world. <laughs> and I always tell people this story because, because it's, I think it's, it's the most life changing Google search that I've ever done in my life because I literally went on Google and I typed blind gay <laughs> and I found BPI and BPI became a, a home for me. And I saw that there were others who were also blind, visually impaired members of the LGBTQ community. And from there, I started networking. Um, I started with, you know, uh, part-time jobs here and there. Um, most recently, I went into back to Miami-Dade College and uh, a good friend of mine who had been a mentor and who had been a uh, professor for me, um, unfortunately, uh, passed away. And uh, I was called by Miami-Dade College to fill his position. I was, I was, it was, it was a huge, huge challenge for me because he, I admired him so much and he was so knowledgeable, but I did it. And from there I transitioned and then I was, uh, a position was opened for an advisor and I had to compete with other applicants who were non-disabled, but I was able to make it and finally got into the position. And, uh, it's it's amazing to know how with patience and strength and the tools and the organizations like this our organization behind us and uh walking with us it's amazing how you can get to the other side because i when i have a student on the other side of the desk sometimes i i just reflect on the fact that many years ago i was on the other side of the desk and now i am advising students with disabilities and some of them immigrants as well you know miami we have a huge not only hispanic caribbean haitian 
uh, immigration. So, so it's, it's, it's a great passion of me for me to help them not only in their academic and career path, but also in connecting them with resources, with paratransit, with division of blind services, um, teaching them about NLS and about, uh, bookshare. So it, it, it really fills my heart. On the other hand, I decided also a few years ago that I wanted to embark in another of my passions, which is uh, within helping people. And I, I always got compliments from family members and friends who told me that I was such a great listener, that I gave good advice. So obviously, I went into um, life coaching for all the wrong reasons, because, uh, you know, you don't go into life coaching thinking that you're going to give advice. But that's what I thought at the beginning. And I started that process of uh, my certification and just recently completed that. So I'm also doing that and I am um, now uh, providing, providing some career coaching and also providing coaching to people who are struggling with, uh, you know, sec coming to terms with sexual orientation or coming to terms with being disabled. And overall, I think that the nation is not perfect and uh, we live in a very polarized society these days but at the end of the day the security that we have in this country that this is a country of laws and this is a country where we learn to respect each other and where there is opportunity uh, it's sometimes not in the places where we look for it but it is there and The other thing that I wanted to uh, point out and, and, and make everyone, uh, leave everyone with a reflection in that regard is don't give up because I know it's tough. I know it's difficult when you get rejection, whether it be from family, from friends or quote unquote friends or from uh, potential employers, but eventually you'll get there. Uh, it just takes tenacity. It takes Um, definitely, uh, I advise everyone to practice a lot of networking and also, uh, connecting with the right organizations. You are in the right place if you're here, <laughs> not only here at the luncheon, but in, in the, in this, uh, convention. Uh, ACB has great resources and great opportunities to network. Um, I was, you know, I, I, I cannot say how, how much I appreciate all the channels of opportunity. Moving a little bit towards my personal life, um, my community, this ACB community has given me the tools to deal with my parents because my parents uh, were, you know, I was moving on with my blindness and with uh, coming out as a gay man, but my parents were not. So I had to deal with my own coming out and with my own coming to terms with losing my sight, but I also had to help them through that process. Uh, like I said, I'm an only child, so it was very difficult for them. Uh, the life-changing opportunities that I've got here are not only within the employment aspect. Um, I was also inspired by coming to my first conventions back in 2012 to uh, go forth and, and, and decide to get a guide dog. And my guide dog, Posh, who just turned 11 and is about to retire, has been just a life-changer. She has been not only my, my eyes, but also my companion. And um, then just to wrap up on the personal side, it was also in an ACB convention three years ago, the last in-person convention we had before the pandemic, 
where I also found love and um, I met my partner, Anthony Corona. <laughs> very, very good. Excellent. Thank you so much, Gabe. It's so great to hear. And as you said, you know, moving from some of those dark places and now going through that, I'm sure the, the fact that you've gone on that journey makes you, uh, you know, better able to relate to your, your uh, students and your clients. And I, I love what you said about gratitude and everything that ACB has done for you. Um, Gabe is being modest and not telling you things like the fact that he's a member of this committee here, International Relations, and that as of yesterday, he will be an upcoming member of ACB board director. So congratulations to you on that. And thank you, including I was going to actually go there uh, next after the reflection. So thank you thank for you, um, going. Thank you for going there as well. So we'll, yeah. we'll do that with the rest of you as well. And then we'll be able to um, open it up so we can go on. Aditi, let's go to you next. So if you want to, um, you know, pick up from where uh, you had left off in terms of with your um, educational journey, your journey to um, employment and um, anything else you want to share about what life is, you know, like for you now and any kind of, um, you know, reflections or advice, you know, having gone through your, your journey so far, what you uh, advice you'd give for people who are, you know, immigrants or looking for employment who are blind or low vision. Sure. So I want to start by talking a little bit about my employment journey back in India. Um, so I always thought, uh, you know, like I lost my vision when I was 15. Like I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa when I was 11. And gradually over the next three, four years, I lost all my usable vision. And since then, I just kept telling myself that, hey, I have to work hard. You know, if I have great grades, employers are not going to look at my disability. They're going to think, oh, this girl is amazing. And they're going to, you know, just take me on very quickly. Um, but unfortunately, even after being at the top of my class all through my college life, when it came to interviewing, no one was ready to interview me. Like all the big tech firms in India. Um, wouldn't just interview me, like forget denying me a job. They wouldn't let me sit for an interview because they'd never seen a blind software engineer in their life before. Um, so, you know, starting from there, I always had anxiety about finding a job. Uh, you know, I, I found uh, uh, my job, first job in India at, with the cybersecurity startup that I mentioned via a classmate. And that was also uh, you know, like I had to freelance, uh, for the company before, uh, prove myself and then they hired me full time. So deciding to come to US, quitting that job was a big step. And I was really scared at that point because I didn't know, you know, it, it, studying in the US is a huge expense and I wasn't sure if I'll find the next job. Um, but Fortunately, things went really well. I was very lucky to also get an employment on campus throughout my master's program, which paid for my tuition. So I didn't really have to spend anything on my master's degree. Um, and thankfully, I applied to Microsoft uh, for a summer internship. And um, I, when I came to Seattle for my interview, it was such an inclusive experience. Like, I had um, a full day interview with four coding rounds. And generally, when I interviewed at other places, if I had multiple rounds, I would have to be the one moving from one room to the other, uh, and which, which was 
something that always caused me anxiety on top of all the interview anxiety that you know in a new setting moving from one room to the other room um, was always something i found hard but at microsoft i was sitting in one room and all four of my interviewers walked in one after the other and that was such an inclusive experience that i really just wanted to work at microsoft so i was offered a software engineer intern position um for the summer and uh, right after that i basically was offered a full time position with microsoft and that's what i've been doing since last two plus years uh, work is really exciting um i do artificial intelligence for cybersecurity two of the most happening fields in tech right now so i'm really excited about all the work microsoft definitely is one of the most inclusive employers on the planet i believe um i'm so grateful for all the accommodations they offer for employees with disabilities because it not just helps me survive at work but it also helps me thrive and really succeed so that's definitely been very important uh, apart from work at microsoft i try to sensitize everyone who's doing security for microsoft about different accessibility best practices and disability inclusion um by leading different culture efforts out there um i'm really passionate about trying to get more blind and visually impaired people to pursue stem careers um in my journey i've always found like wherever i've gone whether it was education or whether it's at work i found little to no representation of blind and visually impaired people whether in tech or cybersecurity specifically so um i've realized that you know i have that sense of responsibility like whoever i work with i have i think of that as an opportunity to change their mindset about people with disabilities um so whatever i can do um uh, through my work or through my sensitization efforts i feel like i can make the path a little more smoother for anyone who wants to follow the same journey so that's definitely something i try to do at microsoft um on a personal front i have also been mentoring and training different students um, both in india and the and the us i volunteer with a bunch of different organizations working for the blind um trying to support students whoever wants to pursue a tech career or you know any other stem related career in which whatever ways i can um i also kind of try to spend some time thinking about uh, different solutions to accessibility problems um because i feel like technology gives me the power to create and i i want to leverage that power to the best of my abilities uh, to create as many tools as i can to help people who face the same problems like me um so been doing all of that um in terms of family my family still stays in uh, india so i live in redmond washington where microsoft is headquartered uh, by myself that also has been a very interesting journey because um like until i moved to the us i used to live with family i'd never lived alone so it was 
very interesting transition for me in that sense because my um like i always had someone in the family to help me out whenever i needed them like whenever i had to go somewhere or whenever i needed to read something so moving away from home it was a little um challenging for me to first learn how to seek help i always say that that's the best thing that i learned in the us like um learning to ask for help in because even culturally in india people just offer help without asking whether you need it or not and that's not how it is here like people would want you to ask for help because they really re- uh, respect your pri- privacy so i learned to ask for help uh, sometimes even from strangers and that i believe is the biggest superpower that we have um so that's something i picked up i really had to um enhance my white cane skills um like i said in india you have so many people around because of so much of population that wherever i would go especially in mumbai which is a which is generally overcrowded so i would always find lot of sighted help everywhere here um lot of times there is no one on the road so i need to be very good with my cane skills and my orientation and mobility skills so that's something i really picked up and in terms of my advice to anyone the first thing i would say you know being in tech is uh, there's no replacement for skills if you if you're good at what you do it doesn't really matter you know geography doesn't matter disability doesn't really matter if your code works you're a hero if it doesn't then you're a zero so just focus on your skills um do not hesitate to step out of your comfort zone i had a good job in india and i was with my family um but i had this dream of becoming a cybersecurity professional so i decided to pursue that goal to step out of um all the comforts that i had but today i'm working for one of the biggest and best tech com- companies on the planet and i really feel glad to have made that decision and lastly when we decide to step out of our comfort zones a lot of times the journey feels so daunting you know like i didn't know i i don't know anyone in the us like we didn't have any immediate family or anything so at that point when i decided to move here i had no clue how i was going to do it but i just focused on the next step and the next step thereafter and it always works out if you have like gaps mentioned you know if you have the tenacity if you have the patience to keep trying and not give up um eventually it's always going to work out for you thank you awesome thank you so much aditi thanks for sharing all of those bits of advice i love that you were able to to achieve your dream uh, professionally and also um it's great you're paying it forward and um to to help is and i love what you're saying about kind of reframing that that instead of thinking oh we have here's one person that doesn't know anything about blindness and we have to educate them again you know reframing that is an opportunity to to change their minds i think that's um really important so uh let's see we'll stay on zoom let's go to saja next Well, uh, for me, I came to the US on a student visa to go to school and I have been doing that ever since. That was in 
So I came here to get my AA degree and then I got my bachelor's degree. I got my master's degree. My bachelor's is in psychology, master's is in social work. I got a couple of certificates, one in disability studies, one in women's studies. And right now my PhD is in communications. So I have spent a lot of time in academia, but recently, a year and a half ago, I also started to work full time for the Air Force. So when I, when I finished my bachelor's degree, I wanted to work. I thought about holding a part-time job. For, the, for my bachelor's degree, I was not interested in working. I just wanted to get my BA degree. But after I was done with it, I wanted to work part-time. But I did not have the guts to apply for a job because, as Aditya and Dave said, because of a history of rejection. I, like a lot of blind people, have a history of getting rejected uh, even after being offered the job at the very last minute, um, you know, I was declined. So I didn't have the guts to go through that again. So I said, okay, no, I'm just going to keep going to school. And that's what I did. And, uh, but I was going to finish my PhD and then start teaching. I, I was pretty sure that after I got my PhD, I wouldn't have problem finding a job. I could be wrong, but I really did think after I got my PhD, I would have a problem finding a teaching job at somewhere, some community college or university. But then um, during my master's degree, a job did find me. I was not looking for a job. But I was offered a job with the uni description project that some of you may have heard about. So the project um, audio describes the national park brochures. So I started to work on that project and then I started my PhD and then, um, and then out of nowhere, I get an email saying, okay, there's a job fair. So, okay. And the job fair was virtual. And so I went to the job, uh, virtual job fair and the Air Force was one of the vendors and uh, looked like I met most of their criteria, not all. So I just applied for the job. And this was when I was working on my PhD. And then shockingly, I got the job. So <laughs> I moved to Ohio in, uh, from Hawaii uh, a year and a half ago. And, uh, and so that's my story. Um, and uh, in terms of advice to uh, people, I really don't have anything new to add. Um, what Aditi and Gibbs said is good. You know, get out of your comfort zone. But one thing I want to highlight is uh, make connections. Make connections, nurture relationships. You have got to know people. Get to know people. Put your name out there. Go out there, go to events, post on Facebook, email people, do something. Let it be known that you exist and uh, get to know people and uh, nurture relationships. Knowing people, networking with people is very important. I think that's the only thing I would add. All right. Well, thank you. And that's wonderful that you uh, were able to get that job. Job, and Yes, absolutely. I got my job through networking as well. So it's absolutely so important. All right. And last but not least, before Q&A, we'll go to Marissa. So um, I left off um, telling you about my employment journey. So after I lost my uh, job in rehab counseling, I applied to um 
to countless places. I had a lot of interviews uh, back in Michigan. At, um, and I, like, after searching for so long, I began feeling like I was hitting the, like I was hitting the wall. And I, I told myself, Marissa, you have to get your, you hit the wall, but let's, let's try and get around it. So, um, I asked, um, Michigan, um, Commission for the Blind or uh, Bureau of Services for Blind Persons now, if they can assist me in, um, being retrained for another job. And that was for me to go to Lions World to train as an assistive technology trainer because I love assistive technology. I love to figure out how it works so that I can help people. And I also very much like to try different electronics, Bluetooth speakers, Bluetooth headset. Um, love to play with uh, different braille note takers and see how it all works. So um, unfortunately, they um, they um, denied me and said, no, no way. You have a marketable degree. Um, you should be able to find a job in your own field. And even though I kept telling them and showing them, I have been looking in, um, you know, in my field for um, three years at a time. Um, no, nobody listened. And I said, okay, so I'm going to look for other alternatives. And um, I was looking into going into Braille transcription, which is how I found American Council of the Blind and joined them, um, joined shortly after that. And I have also done a lot of translating for my family after we immigrated to the United States. And um, as I was assisting my my father to apply for his uh, retirement benefits, uh, they were, they said to me, nope, uh, you can't help him translate. We have to have a professional um, interpreter. And we were like, okay, then um, let's, let's help him and could you help him find an interpreter? So the interpreter comes on the line and asks several questions of my father, like among other things, where, where were you born? So uh, my father was born in a place called um, Yanya, which is in Eastern Bosnia. And um, the gentleman who was translating um, spoke a different uh, accent than, um, than we do, spoke a different dialect, same language, but different dialect. And he said, so where were you born? And my father said, Yanya. And this gentleman kept, kept, uh, keep saying, um, kept saying Yanye, which is Yanye means a little lamb in my language. So, um, then after that, um, after that, um, little, brief little, um, brief little interpretation encounter, my dad is like, why don't you go, um, to become an interpreter? I said, but, how can I do that? I don't have a, um, I speak the language, sure, but I don't have a degree in the language. And I know that I know the basics that, that I can understand, but I'm not a professional or anything. And he said, why don't just go ahead and try? Why don't you? Because you, you can, you're going to be a, you can be a fine translator. And I said, okay, so let me try. So. Um, the long short of it is I went on indeed.com. I typed in Bosnian interpreter and there came the language line solution. So I applied. I went through the interviewing process. 
And I have been working for them for three years uh, this July 1st. So I love it. I absolutely love it. Even, um, I get people that speak my dialect as well as uh, the other dialect of, uh, of the language. And I, am abs- I absolutely help everybody. It doesn't matter like if they are a Croat, a Serb or Muslim. I, I am willing and able um, to help everybody. And I love my job so much that when they need me during the night, I just answer the phone and help them. So um, on the personal side, I um, live in an apartment by myself. Um, my family is close by, which is a blessing, but I have also gained blindness skills that I do a lot, uh, that I do um, independently as much as I can. And I am okay asking for help when I, when I need help. Um, I share my apartment with a fur baby. Her name is Caddy. It's Katie, like Katie with two T's. She is, um, a wonderful companion. I've had her for a little over a year now. And, um, if you, if, if you have it in your heart that you want to have a cat or any other pet, please give yourself, a, please give yourself a chance to try because you can do it. Like I, like there are ways for you as a blind slash low vision person to take, uh, to take care of a pet. Um, another, a couple of advices that I want to offer you. Um, one is, be open to try new things. Be open to ideas and just be willing to try. If it works great, if not, then that's okay too. There's always something else. And uh, fi- lastly, I'm going to echo what uh, President Dan Spoon has been saying all week long since I've been here is please be kind to each other. Kindness will get you a lot of ways but being rude will not get you many places. In fact, it will close the door. So uh, please be kind to each other and keep those doors open and those bridges connected. Thank you. Thank you, Marisa. What a wonderful, positive, uplifting note on which to transition to Q&A. I love that. So um, let's see if we can squeeze in a couple of questions in the 15 or so minutes that we have left. Are there any questions in the room? Okay, Melody, it's your time to shine. Have each of you had experience, um, difficulty asking for help or declining help that's assumed that you need just in aspects of daily life, whether employment related or not, um, while simultaneously educating on the fly and asserting yourselves constructively? Thank you. All right. Um, who would like to take that? I know, Aditi, you had actually mentioned this a bit in your portion that you had to learn uh, to ask for help. So um, I don't know if you wanted to comment. I'll, I'll open this up to whoever does want to answer that question. So uh, I just want to repeat the question. So uh, do you want me to share um, experiences of when I was declined the help and how did I assert myself? So she, Melody's been mute. She's muted. I think she's asking kind of for tips on how to, uh, and, and Melody, come back if this isn't correct, but I think she's asking for kind of just those tips on developing that, the skill set of asking for help, but asserting yourself, kind of doing it in a, a tactful way while also, you know, educating someone about your, uh, you know, blindness, making it a, a positive interaction as well. Yeah, I think um, I, one of the things that has started working for me better is 
being more specific um about what i needed help with um like say um you know when uh, like i i deal with a lot of data so sometimes i have to interpret a lot of graphs and charts which is something i cannot do with my screen reader so when i need help um from someone to actually describe it to me um and i've had experiences where people would just go on and on telling me all the details from the graph whereas i would only want to know the highlights so asking more specific questions like hey what's on the x axis and what's on the y axis um really helps me get the information that i need rather than you know leaving the control in someone else's hands um that's one way um another way that's really been working for me is using um some of these apps like ira or be my eyes like especially um when i lose my way on the road and i do it pretty often <laughs> uh i'm still still pretty new um to walking with a cane so um i generally try to use these uh, services where i get more experienced uh, visual interpretation um of my surroundings uh, to be able to kind of make sense and asking more pointed questions in situations like this again helps because you know a lot of a lot of in these situations time is of essence so um, i think those are some of the tips i can share All right, thank you. And I can tell you as someone who's been uh, walking around doing the blindness thing since birth and, you know, traveling independently for a couple of decades now, I still get lost and uh, you know, uh, need Ira to help me find my way to. So you're fine. All right. Anyone else want to jump in? Um, all right. Well, hearing none. Um, do we have any questions in person in the room before we come back to Zoom? Um, this is Swafa. Um so I just want to get um like what was the biggest cultural different cultural you guys encountered when when here in the US? Oh, you're asking sorry it faded a little. You're asking what is the biggest cultural difference between yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, do you, would you like that for all of the panelists or are you addressing it to someone specific? Just all all panelists? Okay, sure. Great. All right, let's go um let's go to Gabe first. So very interesting question. I and and actually I was thinking about that from the prior question. Um I don't like stereotypes but uh, for example in my case one of the things that uh that I have from a from a Hispanic culture is that sometimes we do not we're not so forward with our communication. Sometimes we expect that people will understand or will guess what we're thinking and what we need and um we i i think it's part of being you know we many many places in in hispanic culture um teach you to be very humble and to not bother others so it seems like you're bothering someone when asking for a favor or asking a question and sometimes people don't do it because here in America I noticed that people are very very straightforward and very blunt if you need something uh or if you have a question or if you have a comment I've learned uh that that was a big culture shock for me but I've learned to speak up 
And I've learned that it is actually a, a way of consideration to others to, the, the, it's not their responsibility to guess what you're thinking or guess what you need. So in, it, it's, it's a more simple culture, I think here to be straightforward and to say what I need, what I don't need, what I like, what I don't like. And that has been one of the most difficult and I'm still working on it. <laughs> Good journey. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Let's uh, let's go to Sanja next. People having children without getting married. I was so shocked when I first found out that such a thing was possible. That was an idea I could not even fathom 11 years ago. That was to me the single most shocking thing about American culture. Can you just repeat what what that was? Uh, you you cut out a little at the beginning. What what is that? People having children without getting married. Ah, okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's go to Marissa next. Um, the biggest uh, cultural um, transition, uh, cultural shock for me, for me, um, when I came was and um, still is to to some degree, but I've come to a accept it more now, the longer I'm living here. But um, so in my back, uh, back home, um, if you enter a, a classroom or pass somebody in the, in the hall or anywhere, um, it's very, it's very norm. It's very um, typ- typical to say good morning, good afternoon, in other words, to utter a greeting. But uh, oftentimes I have, um, I have encountered throughout uh, being here that, for example, people enter a room and they say nothing or you pass them in the hall and they say nothing. So um, there is a phrase in, in my um, language and I'll try to uh, try, uh, I try to interpret it the best way I can, but so there's a saying that even when you enter the the barn, the cow says moo, and <laughs> so, so so it's very um. So what they're trying to say is that even when you like enter the barn, the cow greets you, says moo. It doesn't like um, ignore you or anything. And having um, played a lot with uh, cows and calves on my great grandma's farm, that's actually really true. I have encountered that almost all the time. Um, so, yeah, that's very, very uh, shocking to me. And it still is. It's like um, in back home, you either like know somebody or you didn't. And you always like greeted somebody when you, um, you know, uh, Past them when you when it was just a customer. If you went by somebody without saying anything, they would think, "Wow, that that's pretty rude." Yes, just yes. I can I can so relate to everything you just said right now. Okay. Um. Last but not least on this question, let's go to Aditi. Yeah, I think a very simple thing like in India we would always call our professors and even at work, um, all our supervisors with sir or ma'am. And when I came to US, I realized everyone calls everyone by their first names. Um, So that was a big culture shock for me. Like it took me a while 
to call my professors with their first names. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. And even just elders, like the the no aunties and uncles, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this is Connie Bateman from Sacramento, California, and I taught English to immigrants who came to the United States. And now I currently reach out to people on the WhatsApp pl- platform from six different countries to help them to help them with their English conversation skills. So my question to you, to all of, to any of you is, uh, what role did learning the English language play in helping you to become successfully employed? All right. Let's see if we can answer that quickly in a sentence or two. Uh, Sanja, let's go to you first. It allowed you to speak. It allowed you to converse and communicate with others. So I know we only have three minutes or so, but um, I'll just to keep it brief. I mean, you could talk now. You could talk. You can talk now. You can understand what's being said. So English, knowing the language was the single most important factor, I would say, that helps you uh, acclimate to the foreign culture, U.S. or whatever. Wherever you are, you got to know the language. That's how you speak. <laughs> uh, thank you. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's, let's stay on um, Aditi. Let's stay on Zoom. Anything else to add? Um, no, I would just say, like, definitely English is important. But, uh, I mean, beyond, like, English, I feel, is a tool that lets us express ourselves. Um, so, you know, like, we can express our ideas. And I feel like that's the single most important thing at work. Um, if Even if I know things, but if I can't express it well or I can't pitch it well, um, doesn't really help my career progression. So definitely English is a very important skill to have. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, um, Marissa, let's go to you. So um, what helped me was that I took um, English at the School for the Blind in Germany. It was a required subject. So when I first came, I didn't know it enough to like fully converse, but um, I knew the basics. So um, I was given the advice to um, converse like um, in English as much as I can and watch uh, or listen to like the uh, radio or TV programs in English as much um as I can. So um, that's my advice for anybody who is learning English is please expose yourself uh, to uh, as many English speaking people as you can. And don't be afraid to ask questions because English is one of those languages where different uh, same words have different meanings. So absolutely be open and don't be afraid to ask questions. I cannot say much because I was blessed. My parents did the sacrifice that they did to put me in an American school. But definitely uh, speaking the language and being exposed and just practicing and practicing. And don't be ashamed. Everyone makes mistakes. Thank you so much.